Mr. Beavis. Live it up, will you? But have you ever driven a 1924 Reckenbacker? My dear Beavis, I've driven a chariot with 11 horses. I'm the guy responsible for Ben-Hur winning. And the old Rickenbacker went out with the old Beavis. You're a different person now. No more bow ties, no more zither music, no more Christmas carolers in the office. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I just want to say right now, Gabraham Lincoln has forsaken us because this week is another guardian angel and I've already missed Gabe as he's out the door. Yeah. I'm just really happy we got a Ben-Hur reference at the beginning of this episode here. (laughs) Right. And then, but did you see at the very end, the marquee on the theater was showing Ben-Hur? Of course it was. Yeah. So I just, yeah. Uh, Anyway. So. Uh, strap in, people. This is gonna be this is gonna be a weird one. Uh, the this episode Mr. Denton <laughs> on Doomsday Part Two. Oh, maybe, maybe you know, like nah. I, I just I, I'm conflicted. Not as in like, did I like it? Did I not like it? It's more like, did did I dislike it and did I hate it? Like, and that's I'm just gonna warn you guys out there. <laughs> um, this episode, season one, episode thirty three, Mister Beavis, uh, is. I, I try, and, and as you guys have heard over the episodes, like I try to, to to get something out of these, and Kevin's much better. At, like Even with, um, oh, what was the one we just did recently where you, you, you came up with five good things? Oh, uh, uh, Nightmare. And that, yeah, as Nightmare a as a Child, yeah. right? Um, I prefer Nightmare as a Child to this one just because I feel like it was trying to do more than this episode. We'll get to that in a little bit, but man, just, you know, yeah. If you guys enjoy me getting frustrated, this is an episode for you. And if you if you if you don't enjoy things being torn down, just you know, just listen to Kevin's part of it and just mute me whenever I start talking. Yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like I'm gonna be a little bit nicer on this one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I ultimately once I t- tell you everything I kind of found out about the episode, it, it's going to color it differently. But still, I'm frustrated with it. Um, so anyway, let's just, well, before we get into that in full. Uh, uh, air date was uh, June 3rd, 1960. Number one song is still Kathy's Clown by the Everly Brothers. Uh, number one film, Sergeant Rutledge. Uh, I just mentioned that because um, Sar- Sergeant Rutledge, Rutledge is a 1960 uh, Western crime film starring Jeffrey Hunter, a.k.a. Jesus, uh, Woody Strode, and Billy Burke. Um, it was directed by John Ford and shot mm-hmm. in Monument Valley. Uh, it stars Strode as the as a the uh, black first sergeant in the United States Cavalry accused of rape and murder of a white girl uh, at a U.S. Army fort in the late 1880s. I mentioned that just because I feel like like this movie was like it, talking about the timing of it, right? Like it's it was very much in front of everything going on, and this is kind of using a western as a vehicle of exploring 
uh, you know, the racism and, and, and uh, you know, all, all of that. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know if the movie's any good. I, I never heard of it before now. But yeah, I, I've heard of it. It's pretty well regarded from uh, in film circles. I mean, it's John Ford. I mean, but, like, you know, yeah, yeah, there's not much that isn't well regarded from John Ford. And when it says it was shot in Monument Valley, I'm like, well, well, yeah, it's a John Ford film. Of course it would be, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I couldn't find anything for the actual date, uh, the air date. Me neither. Uh, the day before, though, on Thursday, June 2nd, 1960, at a concert at the Civic Hall in Neston, Cheshire, uh, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Stu Sutcliffe, and Tanya Moore performed for the first time under the name The Beatles. Oh, great. My favorite band. <laughs> I don't I actually I've never actually asked you if you if you like or dislike the Beatles, but I figure they're important enough to mention this is the first time they performed together under the name. Yes, yeah. Uh, there's no denying they're important. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, next question. You know. So, yeah, yeah. All right. We'll leave it at that. All right. Um, so I'm sure there'll be more Beatles talk as we go along. It'll just make sense, right? Because we're going to get into 65 eventually, right? So yeah, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure there'll be many more opportunities for us to hear how Kevin enjoys the Beatles. So so it begins. Have, have you ever heard Beatallica? No. What is that? It's a Beatles Metallica mashup cover band. That instead of like Hey Jude, they have a song called Hey Dude. <laughs> it's it's pretty incredible. They're actually coming uh, around the Cleveland area next month, I think, or maybe in June. I really want to go see them. They're coming with uh, the Ned Flanders band. Oh, Oakley Doakley. Yeah, and yeah, they're also, coming together. Uh, Mac Sabbath, the Black Sabbath McDonald's mashup, right? <laughs> oh. So good. Yeah, but uh, uh, Beatallica, if you haven't heard them, check them out. It's it's incredible. Well, do you remember when uh, DJ Danger Mouse did uh, the, the was it the Gray album where he mixed the White album and Jay Z's Black album together? Like that was a big deal at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, whatever. I just uh, the Beatles have been around. They're going to influence things for a while. Clearly, there's a Metallica mashup band. That sounds awesome, actually. I listen a little bit Okadokli. I like the way they look. I just that sound isn't for me. So because I'm a yeah, wuss. I'm I'm not a big fan. I wish they were a little bit better. Yeah, or worse. <laughs> They're just kind of there. If they were yeah. worse and a little bit more jokey, I could get into it. Or if they were super ridiculously good, I could get into it as well. Yeah, so. I, I guess just having having matching outfits in a name that's kind of funny. I, <laughs> that's not enough for me. I I I haven't heard any Max Sabbath. Um, that might be fun. I don't like, but I, do at you, least they have ridiculous. I don't, I don't know. Max Sabbath seems just so jokey that it has to be good. I don't think I've ever listened to him either. That's true. So, all right. Anyway, if you guys right, like enough you, about that, here we go already. Yeah. Uh, tangents to get us out of talking about this episode. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's, well, let's jump into this cast and crew here. So this episode is directed by William Asher, who is actually a fairly prominent TV director and producer. Uh, he directed and produced Bewitch. He did uh, something like 121 episodes of Bewitch and was the main producer. Um, directed quite a few episodes of I Love Lucy. Did some Gidget. And then uh, a lot of the beach films with Frankie and Annette, like Beach Blanket Bingo and uh, Muscle Beach, whatever. You know, all those all those ridiculous beach musical films. He did those. Yeah. Um, this was his only Twilight Zone episode. But the one thing I really wanted to mention, in 1982, he made this horror film called Night Warning, and it is a surprisingly good psychological thriller hmm. um, about a, 
it's a kid living with his aunt who becomes super possessive and doesn't doesn't want him to leave and gets to the point of just terror it's incredible but it's so strange because all of his i I don't even want to say filmmaking because he did mostly tv work but all of his directing was kind of flat and i mean you picture it looking like a bewitched episode everything i've ever seen him do and night warning is this stark almost noirish uh like neo-noirish thing from the 80s and it feels so out of place for his filmography but i cannot recommend it highly enough uh, Night Warning from 1982. I kind of, I really want to watch that now, as opposed yeah. to a movie he made in 1963 called Johnny Cool, which I thought that was a yeah. great name for a movie. Um, you mentioned uh, Bewitched. He was actually married to Elizabeth Montgomery for the run of the show. Um, so, like, I guess you know that that's a nice, you know, a benefit of, of producing Bewitched. And uh, but I almost feel like this episode we're about to talk about feels like a dry run for Bewitched in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, there is actually something about this uh, that will tie it into that type of TV uh, <laughs> directing. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, next up, this episode was written by Rod Serling. And maybe I'll bring that up now. Uh, the teleplay for this was actually written. It was going to be a pilot for a comedy for CBS. And he ended up reworking the teleplay into a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. So the fact that he brought the the guy who did I Love Lucy and Bewitched makes total sense when you watch this. Because there are moments where, uh, quote unquote, magic happens and there is sound that is so reminiscent of Bewitched. It's insane. Yeah. And I, I can totally see this. I'm so happy it did not turn into a TV show. And I'm sure Serling and the networks are, too, because I could not see this going as long. Well, I guess I couldn't see Bewitch going that long either. That thing went forever. And, and then basically um, that and like I Dream of Genie, which was the same show, you know, like. There yeah, was, yeah. Um, uh, but I could not see this concept going way beyond just this one episode. <laughs> well, it's funny because I actually have some more information because there's a, a lot more into this actual um, spinoff process than we than I thought when I read about that. Um, this was supposed to be a pilot for a series starring, starring Burgess Meredith. Uh, where in each week an angel would get Beavis out of yet another like situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Meredith was unwilling to commit himself to a series. Good move. Yeah. Um, and the proposal came because uh, someone who worked at a, a TV radio place that uh, saw Serling's uh, um, show reel or like the, like the pitch reel for Twilight Zone uh, saw that he liked what he saw from him and actually contacted him and was like, listen, my client... Uh, is more interested in doing some more like nighttime entertainment, but not any mysteries, not any westerns, like something different. So yeah, the stuff you're good at, uh, yeah. we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, uh, just um, and I can wait. We can talk about more of this later once we actually get into the character of Beavis and um, Mr. Hempstead. Uh, there's actually documentation of a memo that Sterling wrote where he pitched five different like possible episodes. Like to go along with the series, I don't want to get mm-hmm. into this too much, but it just shows you like how how goofy it was going to get, you know. So, um, but this thing actually had more legs than than you'd think at first glance in terms of it almost being a show, not not this episode, but the 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 time around it actually it cooked a lot longer than you you'd think it would. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we'll jump into <laughs> cast. I'm sure we'll talk about the little bit more. Uh, later on here, we have Orson Bean as James B.W. Beavis. Uh, this was his only Twilight Zone episode. 
I was really excited to see he was the voice of Bilbo Baggins in the animated Hobbit and Return of the King films from the 80s. Um, have you ever watched any of those? I did as a kid. I, I don't know yeah, much about them. I, I, I haven't watched them in a long time, but I used to have, uh, I think, The Hobbit on VHS. Yeah, I think I get that and uh, The Last Unicorn and The Secret of Nim all mixed up in my head. <laughs> and and it's like and it's weird because they're not all this like whatever but it's like that's my my childhood is like i remember bilbo i remember the unicorn and i remember some rats all with magic powers that's and that must be a hell of a movie in my head but it, none of it makes any sense anymore <laughs> and then uh the only other thing i'll mention he was more recently in being john malkovich yeah, he's still working. Like he, um, yeah, yeah. He was in the most recent uh, was an episode of Modern Family, so he's still out there. Um, good for him. Uh, he, <laughs> whatever. We'll get to him. He he was fine, I guess. But um, I'm glad that he. This wasn't like his one shot. You know, he went off and did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, next up, we have Henry Jones as Jay Hardy Hempstead. Uh, again, only Twilight Zone episode i think actually pretty much all these main actors in this episode is their only twilight zone which was strange again uh he also worked on episode of bewitched i bring it up because it was mm-hmm. quite possibly one that william asher worked on <laughs> and uh he was on support your local sheriff and support your local gunfighter to westerns yeah and he was also in vertigo uh, it's mentioned because uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah i meant to write that down um, and an episode of our favorite other show aside from johnny midnight super train so he was oh yeah (laughs) i forgot about super train man johnny midnight super train and hawaiian eye uh are non-existent (laughs) right like you just try to find nothing left of those shows it sucks (laughs) well if if they were better they would have stuck around right so um, maybe 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 uh all right so um but did you have because there weren't too many other people in this cast do you have any anybody else here um, I'll just mention the names of the others just to give okay. him credit. Uh, we have Charles Lane as Mr. Peckinpah, who uh, worked quite a bit. He had over 300 credits, did some voice work, did a uh, lot of character acting. And then uh, we have Horace McMahon as the bartender. That's really as far as I went. <laughs> so Charles Lane, he passed away in 2007 at the age of 102, which is weird because he looked like he was like 102 in this episode. Uh, when he, They're celebrating his 100th birthday. Uh, he, there was the TV land awards, whatever. Uh, he was brought in a, a lifetime achievement award by uh, Haley Joe Olsmet, you know, cause he can see dead people. Uh, <laughs> and then, but he announced, he's like, if you're interested, I'm still available for work. So it's like, I like that even at like, uh, age 100, he's like, if you guys need me, I'm here. So I appreciate that. Um, so I thought that was, that was funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else do I have here? I, there was Florence McMichael. She was Margaret. Uh, that was the, the girl, the secretary in the office. Not much there other than she worked with Lucille Ball, which makes sense because of Isle of Lucy and Asher. Um, William Shallert is the policeman, the first policeman that you see, the one with uh, near the, the, uh, the car wreck. Yeah. Um, he was the father in It's a Good Life in the Twilight Zone movie. And then that huh. segment with the family that was put together with that kid with the powers that creeps me <laughs> out. And I've talked about it previously. And he was in Gremlins, too. Um, like, you, if you saw him in a, his older self, you'd recognize him immediately. This guy was in a lot of stuff. Nice. Um, and then also, I just want to mention uh, Vito Scotty is the fruit vendor that gets angry the second time we see him. So um, angry. <laughs> Uh, this he's actually the one person that actually makes multiple appearances in the Twilight Zone. This is like his one of two episodes. 
Uh, he was in an episode of The Odd Couple, which I just want to bring up because of last week. Yeah. Um, and he was in The Godfather. So I just, you know, like of all of like all the random things, it's like, oh, by the way, like one of the best movies ever made. I'm, I'm going to be in that later. You know, like, so, yeah. <laughs> and the bartender, Horace McMahon, he was in Abbott and Costello Go to Mars. I just thought that was just fun to throw out there. And that's it. <laughs> Again, the classic. Not, not want to talk about the episode, but I'll talk about uh, everybody else's lives. It's fine. <laughs> All right, so Paul, it's our, uh, it's 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 the moment at last. So, <laughs> I mean, did you want to mention that the intro was different in this episode, real quick? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I meant to bring that up <laughs> <laughs> before we get into this plot. Yeah, this is the first episode with the change of the intro. Yeah, um, this one didn't stick around very long. It's just an no. Eyeball. I was gonna yeah. say I don't, I don't even remember this intro to the Twilight Zone. Me neither. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to see how long it's going to stick around before they go to the... I think the next one's the more iconic of them that stuck around for a while. Yeah, so... So we'll see. Yeah. We've got to keep that in mind. But yeah, real real bland intro to this episode. It, it felt like if they were redoing The Twilight Zone for today. Just because it, yeah. it's, it's like five seconds, it's over, you're into the show. Um, so. Yeah, I thought my TV was screwing up, actually. I was like, <laughs> did, I click, did I click the right thing? Yeah, right. Um, all right, so I, I, now I feel like we have to, to do our due diligence here. All right, let's hear what uh, Mr. Serling has to say. In the parlance of the 20th century, this is an oddball. His name is James B.W. Beavis, and his tastes lean towards stuffed animals, zither music, professional football, Charles Dickens, mooseheads, carnivals, dogs, children, and young ladies. Mr. Beavis is accident-prone, a little vague, a little discombobulated, with a life that possesses all the security of a floating crap game. But this can be said of our Mr. Beavis. Without him, without his warmth, without his kindness, the world would be a considerably poorer place. Albeit, perhaps, a little saner. Should it not be obvious by now, James B.W. Beavis is a fixture in his own private, optimistic, hopeful little world. A world which has long ceased being surprised by him. James B.W. Beavis, on whom Dame Fortune will shortly turn her back. But not before she gives him a paste in the mouth. Mr. James B.W. Beavis, just one block away from the Twilight Zone. You're getting that stupid organ grinder music, no matter what. That's I had to leave that in I was there. Gonna say I, I immediately got a headache. <laughs> uh. Yeah, really disjointed intro. Like if you can, if you guys have not seen the actual episode, and I'd say watch it because it's a Twilight Zone, so you should. But I'd also say don't watch it because I don't like this episode. The intro spread over three like bits, and it was very disjointed, and it was it was awkward. Yeah, not as long as last week. Last week was like six minutes. He was done with this intro by about three and a half minutes in. Yeah. But still longer than we're used to. Yeah. And, it, uh, and not, a, not as concise as I'm used to Rod Serling's narrations. It's it's written well. It's just it's kind of all over the place, which I guess makes sense to this character. Yeah. I Maybe I want to say you're going to give it too much credit in that sense, because like, um, because anything that's going to come off odd and out of place in this episode, we're going to be like, well, maybe that was on purpose. I don't, I don't know about some of it, you know, like I feel like, yeah, no, I'm not know. saying it was, but it, in hindsight, it kind of works. It does. I, I agree. So I, I don't I'm not necessarily saying that Serling had that in mind when he wrote the intro. I think he was just grasping at straws when he wrote that 
just trying to make it work for Twilight Zone. I I I liked that when you first see uh, Mr. Beavis, he's in his his hoarder's apartment with all his junk that he has, uh, and there's just that bit there where he picks up the birdcage and looks <laughs> at it and it's like I'm going to find a home for this, and he ends up just eventually setting it right back where it was, like. There's little bits of like like the comedy in there that I appreciate because it's a sight gag, and that works. But then, the, the, but there's other times where this thing hits you like like a sledgehammer, and it's like it, it come. It's just way too much. Yeah. Well, um, I I think I'm gonna jump into uh, again first nice thing of the episode. <laughs> I if anything, I can sort of relate to Mr. Beavis. Just because I have so many different hobbies and I'm always jumping around and I collect and I just have so much stuff everywhere. And, you know, even my my uh, desk at work is covered in weird things. And I just uh, if anything, I can relate with him. And I think the way that uh, what's his name? Um, Orson Bean plays the character. I, there's a sort of charm to him. So I, I got to give him a little bit of credit. And even from the first scene in this episode he has that bit of charm working for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I will give you like the, uh, you know, the ex, uh, whatever eccentricities of collecting and multiple interests, which this episode is a really negative view on that. And I, it's like, it's, and I know Sterling's trying to like show sharp contrasts, but it's still almost like the episode is shitting all over him. Even everybody is It's just because he has interests. He is different and it is odd. You know, but it's like, but they, but they give him things that are so odd that I don't know, even if like, for me, I collect a lot of things and like a lot of things I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't know about stuffed squirrels on my desk. You know, like it's, well, I, I collect a lot of taxidermy and skulls and that kind of <laughs> stuff in the house. So again, I can connect with that. Um, oh, what was I just about to say? Yeah. I didn't necessarily think that everyone was shitting on him for his interests. Because at the end of the episode, it, it's more teaching you to, again, we're doing kind of an overall review already, um, just to be happy with who you are and not to care what other people think. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know? that's and, and so, like, as much as everyone's shitting all over, like, he ends up happy at the end of this episode. So, you know, it's, I, I think Sterling's saying it's okay. It's okay to run your own course. And, and I will agree with that. I, I just feel like he piles it on, like just just to show you how how eccentric, how weird he is. Like like yeah, he, he yeah. Likes I'm not boys saying it was and the, young girls. Like what you know? Yeah, it, it wasn't done the best it could, but I appreciate what the message of this episode is ultimately. Yeah. So and, right. yeah, okay, let's yeah. get into this plot and blow through this. It's <laughs> <laughs> not much to talk about in the plot. No. Uh, so yeah, so Beavis, he's on his way out of his apartment. Um, by the way, same stairwell that was a nightmare as a child. So when he, uh, when he decides to ride down the banister and tumble out, I was really hoping he'd go all the way down the stairs, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so he shows that he's kind of carefree, like kids in the neighborhood like him. He talks to the fruit vendor, gets a free apple. His landlord doesn't really much like him. And his, he has this old time car that the kids help push to, so he can get to work. And so you get this idea that like people like him, but he's just, he's just marching to his own beat, you know? And, yeah. um, and he shows up to work. I thought it was on time. Maybe he's an hour late. I don't know how, like what time he was supposed to be there. Uh, that never, that didn't seem quite right. Like he was rolling in nine. I guess the workday starts at eight. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
But I, I do like they show his desk. It's covered in a bunch of weird things. <laughs> and uh, what about his, that his... weird lamp? That race, not lamp. Sorry, that racist clock that oh, they kept showing. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was uh, that's the kind of stuff I see at uh, flea markets and stuff all the time. I'm like, oh god, like who would ever buy that? That's so tasteless. <laughs> it looked like like kind of like a hula dancer or something, and the eyes would kind of blink as the clock would tick. But it was done in like this jet black finish that looked like very inappropriate, you know, and I don't yeah, know how the, to. Like... There's a whole line of that stuff that was made. I think it was like in the 30s or 40s. And all of it is incredibly racist. Yeah. So no, it, it's meant to be black. It's not meant to be like an Islander or something. No, no, no. So, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, I got it's not it. Like, <laughs> it's not like they just screwed up the hue and the dye when they were making it. Like it's it's a racist uh, ceramic statue. And did you see the? You know how like um, when they show the credits of the show at the end, they'll have a freeze frame of an image. It was of that clock at the end. I'm oh, like, I know. like, why would you do that? Oh. Uh-huh. Anyway, just it was it was awkward. Like there's times in the, in, the, in this series where you're like, wow, they really, you know, like the the politics between men and women have changed quite a deal, and the conversations changed a lot. But then, you know, or just like people the way they react to each other, that was one of those things that just felt like, whoa, they need that. That's that's a little much, you know. Like yeah, just, well, at that time, like I'm telling you, go to flea markets or antique stores; those things are everywhere. Like those things were mass produced. Those are a lot of people had those things. So I'm sure they didn't even think twice about it when they put it on. No, I it agree with you. Shows yeah. you. Yeah. It, it's not like they probably just were like, yeah, it's a cool, that's a cool thing, you know? <laughs> and now you look at it, you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Beavis, no. You know, um, there was the gag in the office that they're like, so there's bits I thought were entertaining, but just the whole thing kind of felt weird one was how the office pool were all typing 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 and then anything happened they'd all stop and listen i thought it was funny it was funny right but and then whenever um the boss comes out and when you first see the boss you see him in a, in a portrait above his office where he's smiling and the camera pans down and he's like has a big frown on his face that was a good juxtaposition gag too uh so there there's there's decent gags in the series or this episode and asher has he has a pretty decent sense of timing at, at times then so th- that stuff wasn't bad it just yeah uh, his yeah. timing's on it's just he everything he shoots looks so flat most of the time that's yeah that's the issue for me and especially we've seen some really gorgeous episodes recently and uh this just it's just uh, not doing it visual uh, visually for me yeah so beavis loses his job surprise surprise uh he it's like his like 13th job in 11 days or something i forget exactly what he said yeah um and and then they go to pack up his desk with the weird world's weirdest like tall cardboard box i don't know why that was like they're just dropping stuff into the box as they as they sit him on his way and as he leaves he goes home and then finds out that like he's being evicted uh and all well, this stuff missed the car bit oh yeah the so car bit i'm he sorry goes outside right. of yeah. the, he goes outside of his office and uh he can't really see over the box and he goes to pull out his keys and get in the car and the car in front of him, the bumper has locked onto his and it pulls his car away and ends up crashing into something and flips over on its side. <laughs> yeah. That's, that was uh, a lot of, uh, um, 
a lot of energy for that to happen. You know, like the, <laughs> like the, the accident didn't quite match what we saw on the screen. But yeah, you're right. There was the bit. He did the whole thing, you know, like the, the, the reaching out for the car that wasn't there. That was okay. Uh, and then the cop asks him, like, is this your car? And he's like, yeah. He's like, does it do this often? Which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, uh, and then he then he goes to ask the the police officer if he'd like to buy a twenty four Rickenbacker, um, and the guy's like, "Nope, I have my eye on a twenty seven something or other." Um, but yeah, th- again, like I I just like this episode just for it just it doesn't feel like Twilight Zone to me, you know. And I know that's that's a general that could be you know I guess it's just a matter of opinion, right? It, but now knowing that this was a backdoor pilot, it just. It just, it just didn't, you know, like sometimes you, you have a meal and you're like, something doesn't taste right. This doesn't feel like the restaurant I've been coming to for years. You know, like that's what this felt like to me. Everything about it has felt kind of off. Yeah. No, I, I'd agree with you. And th- that's why I mean, like, I'm going to be fairly nice to it because <laughs> I, I did enjoy it. And I honestly did like Orson being as Mr. Beavis. And I think some of the comedy was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's. It, it's not the dark Twilight Zone stuff that I love. And I, I honestly was not sure until I asked you if we were recording today um, whether or not you were going to love uh, like this one or not. Because <laughs> you have liked some of the more comedic stuff um, and some of the more lighthearted stuff. So I was kind of on the fence. And then, uh, yeah, you kind of uh, spoiled how you felt about it. <laughs> I think my text to you was, yes, I want to get Mr. Beavis out of my head immediately. Yeah, because like, so if, if this was just something watching and passing, you're like, you know what? OK, that wasn't the best episode. Then, And again, uh, I, I even feel like Mr. Denton on Doomsday was was trying for something. It just wasn't great, you know, and um it, and this maybe it's also because we even though I'm not the biggest fan of a passage for trumpet, it was an okay episode, but we just had a guardian angel story there, you know, and it yeah. just feels like and maybe that's why this one this felt like so like and really it's done better. Yeah. I say, too. And we didn't even get to that part yet. So, yeah, you find out that like after he gets evicted, he goes and drinks, which I'll give um, Orson being credit. His drunk talking was way better than uh, uh, Jack Klugman's drunk talking. Um, oh, yeah. And then he, he finds he sees he sees someone in the mirror and they're out there in the booth and they find, you know, he keeps going back and forth, eventually finds out his he has a guardian angel that's there to watch out for him. Um, and that's the, the was his name? Hempstead is his name. Uh, Henry, yeah. Henry J. Hempstead. How, how did you feel about the uh, they had the effect where he I guess the reason he has a guardian angel is that somebody along his um, ancestry line did something really great. And uh, this guardian angel was assigned to his family throughout history. So it, they, there's a painting up on the wall and it changes to different people like uh, that came before yeah. uh, Beavis. Uh, other famous Beavis. What was that? Other famous Beavises throughout yeah, history. Yeah, so it goes through and it just has Orson being dressed up as all these different Beavises, like Magellan Beavis, <laughs> who was an explorer, you know, and all these like these really goofy things. But I kind of like the effect of just putting that up behind them. Yeah, it, it was funny. And the fact that they actually got him in costume. Uh, yeah, again, yeah. this feels very like Bewitched, you know, like for what they did. And I like the idea um it feels more there's an author out there his name's Christopher Moore he writes um a series he writes a bunch of awesome books but they're all comedy books 
And this feels like an idea that he would have where it's like the guy in front of you is just just a bumbling idiot that has all these you know, eccentricities, but this angel is indebted to his bloodline because of something that happened. Like yeah. I, that's, th- that's not a bad idea. It's an interesting idea. You know, it's just, yeah. Anyway. So it, it sorry, I guys did messed up. Uh, Jay Hardy Hempstead. If that's not the most Stanley sounding name for like a, a boss, I, you know, I don't know. Um, but, but they go along and, and, um, there was the, like, well, was, I'm here to protect you. And then there was a gag involving a chandelier. That was just stupid. I hated that gag. Um, <laughs> Jeez. I, I hate, I, I just, uh, it was just a dumb gag. Um, and then they go, um, he, he, the angel says to him like, Hey, I can fix all of this for you. We can start over the day. Like none of this has happened. We just got to make some changes. And then they do the thing that this is maybe why I hated this episode, Kevin. And I think you could tell me like, tell, tell the point where I just, I turned on the episode. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> he, he basically snaps his finger and, uh, Beavis is in a suit. Well, not even that. So. It's when the eggs at the bar. That's the part. Where oh, yeah. Like- yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. No. How did I not get this? Yeah, we're getting into some mirror image territory here. Oh, I hate it. Um, yeah, so they're walking out of the bar, and there's a glass door. And, of course, Hempstead walks through the glass door, and it's a obvious green screen, just a superimposed version of him walking through, so he doesn't have to do anything. And then uh, Beavis walks straight into the glass. <laughs> Oh, I hated it so much. Like, cause it, it wasn't needed and there was other physical comedy in the episode. And also the fact that, uh, Hempstead could just appear wherever he wanted anyway with the, with the sound of a music chord playing, you yeah, know, they could have just had him just appear outside. And yeah. Not even go through that. <laughs> oh, I hated it. But you, you, you maybe they point. just wanted to experiment with the effect, you know, maybe, okay. um, cause they had so much success with it in uh, mirror image. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I like it. I just considering like last week we learned that they did a mirror trick involving twins. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not letting this go. Uh, so the whole point about him changing his clothes, that's important to bring up just because he was wearing like this tweed jacket, a bow tie. It just, it was just very like, I know why they chose those items because the material, like the textures showed really well in black and white, just to show you how uncoordinated his dress was. Yeah. Um, and then when they put him in a regular suit, he's like, I look like uh, an undertaker. And he's like, well, whatever. I forget what Hempstead said. But, you know, he made him look like a business guy. Uh, yeah. and, and not Matt Smith from Doctor Who, which I showed Kevin a photo of before we got started. And Matt Smith is Doctor Who. Looks like Beavis. And it is it is weird. Yeah, it, it, that is kind of striking is uh, uncanny. It's, his resemblance is uncanny. <laughs> it, it is weird. It's it's like Matt Smith saw that. It's like, that's what I'm basing my doctor <laughs> off of. Perfect. He's like, the guy's a bumbling idiot and drives an old car. That's fine. I'll do that. Um, <laughs> so then basically they go through a, like a what if scenario or, or, or I should say it's a wonderful life scenario where uh, you get a second chance, right? Or not say even wonderful life. I guess that's he gets the chance to go through his day again, but with changes to his personality. The family how, man. Y- yeah, there you go. That's that's a better Nick choice. Dave. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't want to go slide. He wants to go slide down the banister to leave the apartment, but Hempstead won't let him. But even though Hempstead looks at it, and it's like that looks like it's fun, which I thought that was kind of a funny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just goes through policing him the rest of his day. So that way he has success. And you can tell that like uh, Beavis isn't really happy with all this because the kids don't know him. The landlord loves him because he pays his rent on time, which I don't know why you'd be upset about that. Yeah. He, has a, he has a nice car. Uh, he, he gets a raise at work, which is $10 well, he, more a week. 
he also doesn't get uh, free fruit. That's true. Yeah. The, the fruit vendor is like, why should I give you free fruit? And he starts yelling the word bananas real loud and then walks away. Um, <laughs> and so like he, he gets his day and he gets everything and gets a, a raise and all of this. And but he goes to his desk and none of this stuff's there, like the stuff that he loves. And and Hempstead keeps showing up saying, nope, you don't love this anymore. You don't love this anymore. This is what you like now. And then he, he's basically saying, you know what? At the end of the day, I, I'd rather not have my job or my apartment or my car because I still have all these things I love no matter what. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I will give credit to this episode that the angel really, really wanted him to be someone important because he's looked over important Beavis's previously, which that's a weird sentence. Um, <laughs> but he kind of gave up. <laughs> he's just like, all right, if this is what will make you happy, I guess I'm still with you, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think he kind of knew that uh, Beavis was right because you mentioned that stare moment where he wants to slide through. Yeah. And you can tell that he's like, well, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so it's it's kind of that's why I give this credit, this episode a little bit more credit, because there are moments like that stare scene that kind of give this angel a little bit more depth than you would expect. Yeah, and the, but then like um, at the end, whenever he Beavis walks outside, and uh, well, no, he's actually he goes through his entire day, and he's drinking again at the bar. I want to bring that up because he has like five shots of whatever, right? Well, you missed the other car gag. Yeah, well, that's well, that's what I'm saying. Like the car gag, it comes up after because he has these drinks. Oh, it's after he goes yeah. to the bar. Okay, and because right. I want to bring up how scary this is, he has five drinks and tells the bartender, "I'm gonna get my life back together. I'm gonna go out and look for a job." And he leaves the bar with five shots at him to go get his car and drive away. I, like <sighs> no one acknowledges this, you know. And so he goes out to his car. Uh, there's a fire hydrant in front of it. The the cop tries to go give him a ticket, and the angel moves the fire hydrant to in front of the police officer's motorcycle. Uh, the police officer does one of these Buah! faces, and you know, then we shenanigans are ensuing for the rest of Mr. Beavis's life. Yeah, well, he asks when he steps out of the bar, the car reappears. There. Oh yeah, that's true. Because it's assumed that the car was hooked to the bumper and flipped over again, just like it had been when he had his uh, life changed back to normal. So when he leaves the bar, his car magically appears there. Yeah. So And then he's like, oh, uh, Mr. Hempstead, you're still with me, aren't you? And then the cop's writing him a ticket. And I actually thought that was funny because it was. I thought Hempstead was kind of almost punishing him, being like, hey, you chose this. That, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I didn't think him. about that. But yeah, and then he ends up moving the fire hydrant, and then he says, "Oh, good, you're still with me." And that's a little bit more. Uh, it's it's a little less funny, I should say, because <laughs> I thought it was funny if they would have left it with him getting a ticket. Is you know, it would have been like, "Oh, damn," you know, <laughs> like I think thanks that, for my car back, but oh, ticket. <laughs> I think I that's a good funny. a good tagline for the episode, Mister Beavis. A little less funny. I think that's perfectly <laughs> just, like, encapsulates all this. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I the idea that you know it's okay to be yourself and all that. I'm I'm 100% for that. I just feel like the uh his his quirkiness was so I mean it's so cartoony on purpose, right? I mean it's very elevated, but it mm-hmm. almost made you feel like if I was a viewer home watching this and I happen to have a couple interests, like I don't know, I feel like you'd almost still get the idea that you're going to be ostracized for liking things. You know, I feel like there's a point where you're a kid that you could watch like TV, but then after that, it's like, nope, you got to be an adult. You got to put on the suit. You got to go to work. 
You know, and I know that's what he rallied against, but that's not what the people in the office were about. That's not what the people around him were about, you know, like, and I just, it feels, it, it feels weird. Yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I didn't necessarily take it uh, that negative with it. <laughs> I just, not not saying that it's, you're taking it that negative, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty positive ending. I, I didn't have an issue with it at all with the, with any of that. I, I actually felt like I related with Mr. Beavis. So, <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's true. I just, but also at the same time though, if you think about his interests and like his love of zither music and all that other stuff, it's like he he would play this stuff in the office. It's implied that he'd play this music in the office because he liked it. There's no nothing in there that said that anybody else around him liked the things that he did. You know what I mean? In terms of like, I know his boss was annoyed with them, but I'm like, do you, like you know. You ever sit beside somebody that's listening to their music just a little too loud, and you're like, I just want to work. I don't need to listen to your music. Could you imagine a record player playing Zither music while you're trying to work? Like, it's just. Nah, I'd, I'd like it better in sports radio than I hear in the office <laughs> <laughs> or pop country. <laughs> uh, that, that, I guess that's fair. Um, or the Beatles, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just I feel like he he was living this, like, not charmed life, but aloof life that was still impacting those around him, you know? And I, I wonder, I know I'm, I'm overthinking it just because these episodes are short and clearly there was supposed to be more in store for Mr. Beavis. But mm-hmm. I feel like, like he was kind of a, like, he was kind of a wrecking ball around him with his interest and his love of things. You know, Cause he sounds like he would get easily distracted and go on to something else and make a wooden ship and do this. It's like, you're at work, you know, like you need to, yeah, like you need to work. Not, not with yeah, the model or, ships. I mean, even, even down to the car, you know, he loved his old car, but the thing was a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I had, I did some math just cause it was easy math. That's the only reason why I did it. Like his, uh, 24 Rickenbacker, which I had never heard of a Rickenbacker before. It's a real car. The yeah. company only existed for like five years. That should tell you something about his choice in cars. American um, pickers. The only reason I know. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, a Pickenbacker. I know. So, he uh, that would make his car 33 years old at the time that the episode was made. That'd be like someone around today being like, I love my 1981 Dodge Omni. Like, it just would feel like weird, you know, like just. Yeah. Uh. Well, that's why it's funny because it's, you know, initially you think it's almost like somebody collecting a classic car. But no, it's more so him driving a beater. Yeah, that's that's really all it is. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, but no, I, I can also relate with that, though, because my cousin is obsessed. He has an AMC Eagle. Nice. And uh, he loves his Eagle. He takes so much pride and care in that car. So, I mean, I guess whatever gear that is, like mid-80s, like he's obsessed with that. And there's like car, there's like a car club for AMC collectors and stuff. So it's out there. <laughs> so I guess there could have been a Rickenbacker club in the in the 1960s yeah maybe who knows um just it'd be a really slow moving gang and (laughs) kids is pushing them around all over the place so um all right so a little bit more information about like the genesis of this episode or at least commentary about it uh so uh buck houghton said what was it where i got his quote here um he said uh that was one of my least favorite somehow it just didn't come together it was apples and oranges I didn't think there was any excitement or interest. You just wondered why watch it. And that's a producer of the show. <laughs> like I could, you know, just like, it's just one of those things where it's like, yep, we put that out there. Um, yeah. 
And then, uh, what was it? Uh, even Serling didn't like it. Uh, he felt like the entire thing was a big blooper. He said, it, it has not the dimension of a pilot nor the production polish that should be a, uh, should be attendant. The budget got destroyed towards the end of the, the show during the period of the cycle when this was being shot. I think it reflected the show itself, but at least it will give you a kind of a general idea of a direction that I wanted to take, if not necessarily a true picture of that casting. So uh, he he really thought his idea was kind of sweet and innocent and kind of and kind of fun, but it just what and I actually, agree with that. And and what it's it, just yeah, it's just in execution that honestly this thing falls apart. Yeah, and he said, uh, "I hated the Beavis show from its rough cut onto its airing. I thought it had slaughtered. It was a slaughtered version of what potentially could have been very cute and also very definitive of the proposed series." So. Yeah. No one liked Mr. Beavis, not even his angel. Remember, he's like, he's the guy's like, I don't get you or whatever he said to him. He's like, I don't like you very much. Um, <laughs> but there was like, so there's a, he wrote this memo, certainly wrote a memo uh, that had um, five different, four or five different plots. And um, there's just one where uh, Hempstead decided that Beavis would have to run for office and him and, and Beavis was like, fine, I'll run for office, but I don't want you to use your angel powers and make any votes like cast for me, like, you know, because you willed it. He's like, no, 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 I won't do that. But then he, he makes uh, Beavis, like, for 24 hours, uh, answer honestly with the truth, no matter what's asked of him. And it's like, the, not, now that we know the movie Liar Liar exists. With yeah, Jim I Perry, was just about to say, it's, it's just it like, sounds it, like Liar Liar. It was very, this like some of these random things where it's like, like the angel wasn't the cure-all. It was kind of like, you know, be careful what you wish for type of thing as well. So it's just, there's just weird stuff like that. He becomes a really good car salesman because he needs to. But then the problem is he's selling like because he has the power to sell almost anything. He talks people into these ridiculously large like luxury vehicles. And it's just like this whole whole zaniness that was supposed to go on with Mr. Beavis. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to see what could have been. And also what I'm glad of what didn't happen. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I I honestly couldn't see the show taken off just based on this episode, especially if this was the pilot. Yeah, and well, and, and oddly rough. enough, um, this is not going to be the only time that uh, Sterling uses the Twilight Zone to try to pilot a show. And okay. I found out about this by accident, and we'll, and we'll save that discussion for then. There's an episode, uh, it's called Cavender is Coming. That was actually a backdoor pilot for a possible Cavender TV show. And we'll talk. I mean, I don't know anything else about it. Is that um, season three or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think um, I read about that. So we'll get there when we get there. But it's just like for certainly admitting here, and I'll have to read more about the actual timeline of the series. Uh, I guess it sounds like they're in the home stretch of finishing out the, the season and the budgets were just falling apart is what it sounds like. It sounds like the studio or the, the TV station CBS was not giving them the money that they had at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of obvious, you know, with some of these as you start going through the later episodes. Um, and so I guess this was just one of those ones that, again, much like uh, a passage for Trumpet where Serling had that idea for such a long time and it came out kind of, you know, not perfect, but at least, you know, he loved Joey Crown. This feels like something that it's almost like if you'd asked him, it'd been like, yeah, I spent so much time working on this. I had to have something come out of it. That's what yeah. it feels like. So. Yeah, and again, I mentioned in every show, he was pumping teleplays out for the show. So I'm sure having a pre-written pilot for something else and being able to work it into this was probably a time saver for him. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I just, yeah. I don't know, like the second time watching this, like, so here, here, here's my, here was my Sunday is I watched it blind, 
was like, and then I got up and was doing my chores and stuff around the house. And I'm like, I really, really don't want to watch this again. And then as I'm like going through doing my notes and everything, I start watching the episode a second time. I fall asleep at my computer the second time watching it. That oh, kind God. of, that kind of like explains everything. Like I was like, that's kind of how I felt about it. I'm like, I didn't want to deal with it again. It's just like the whole bit where he comes out of the, 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 the stairwell the first time he slides down the banister and then does a big like uh, tumble all the way down the steps. That's like, that was too much. But then he smiles like, uh, like Stan Laurel, like Laurel and Hardy. And I'm like, God damn it. That kind of works. You know? And it was very, it just, just for every moment of like, okay, there's a moment of like, why'd they do that? Yeah. And and yeah. That That's why MVP of this episode, it goes to Orson Bean. Cause he does have an, just enough charm that holds this episode from being a total train, a train wreck, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, I think I liked it a little bit more than you and Serling did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it really falls on the shoulders of Orson Bean because there was nothing really as far as directing. It was a um, stock music for it. So there's nothing really crazy going on there. Um, nobody else was really. I mean, Henry Jones as uh, Hempstead, he was OK, but we've seen so many better mystical characters in this show. Yeah. that have been so memorable that he was just kind of there. Like the omnipotent storyteller or dealmaker. We've already, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've we've seen so many great ones so far that this is just so forgettable. But, and it, the fact that there are only basically those two characters the entire time and 50% of the two characters is not that great. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's kind of rough. But like you said, those moments of comedy... Some of them worked. I, I laughed out loud when he moved or uh, when he came out and then realized he was getting a ticket as he placed his car <laughs> in front of a hydrant. Like I, I thought I thought it was funny, but then immediately they kind of reverse it. And it just it, whole episode just kind of has those ups and downs. Yeah. So drastically that well, it's just it, it's not it's definitely not one of my favorites, but I, I did kind of enjoy it. It makes you wonder what this would look I, I'm like so i'm so discombobulated uh, discombobulated right now yes <laughs> good yes i like it um it I, I don't even wonder. know what i'm saying about this episode because i'm <laughs> like i like it but i hate it i like it i won't watch it again but i had fun watching it <laughs> what, what if <laughs> that's like, my review if uh burgess meredith had played the role and if you if you notice like when he was in time enough at last his character's name was bemis mm-hmm. so that's i don't think that, that i don't think that's by accident um, yeah, but you, you, if you had someone like Bemis who he just is really just like, you know, all he wants to do is get away from the world and do this. And he has all his interests and it's just weird little man. Like, I think like having, having that, there would have been a different texture to it and maybe it would have worked better. Um, I can yeah. see why Meredith didn't want to get near it. Just, yeah. You know, but whatever. with the history of this teleplay going as a comedy pilot, you would have never got that character. Yeah. So it, 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 it's even hard to play the what if with this one because this isn't I mean at the end of the day this isn't even a Twilight Zone episode no it's not <laughs> I yeah. mean technically it is but it isn't so it, even our game of rewriting it how could <laughs> how could he have made it better doesn't work because he didn't initially even write it for the Twilight Zone so it's it doesn't have the uh, it, it just doesn't have the atmosphere or the pinnings that we usually see in these episodes yeah 
And um, I even I'm I'm sitting here trying to think of what I'm gonna give the twist, panicking. I'm like, was it was it was there even really a well, twist? I, I, I have I have one, and we'll get to it in a second. I just right. um I tried, I really, really tried this week to come up with something to connect to this episode. Um I was like, Well, I'll look up the Rickenbacker. Well, there's not much there. And I was like, I'll look up like I yeah. just couldn't come up with anything. And also explained previously I was falling asleep while taking notes. I also wasn't that enthusiastic about trying to find something, so I apologize, audience. I just I did find something I've known about it before, so I, I was trying to look up originally like uh like odd backdoor pilots in the TV shows, and that got a little a little weird because there was like it's it's hard to track all that down because if it super doesn't train. work, say what super train super train yeah that was yeah, this was a backdoor pilot for super train but uh no um so I went the other direction and I was trying to find like what was the show that had the most number of spinoffs and I knew about this and I started reading about it. And not all of it was successful, but All in the Family spun off a ton of different shows. Um, so from All in the Family, you had uh, Archie Bunker's Place, which took place after All in the Family. Yeah, uh, I remember that one. Another series later on called 704 Hauser, which is the address of the house. And it was made in the 90s, and a different family moved in. Um, that sounds terrible. It, yeah, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> it only lasted six episodes, so no one watched it. Uh, Maud. Uh, broke off from All in the Family because she was uh, um, that was B. Arthur and that was uh, uh, what's her face's sister on the show, uh, and then from Maud came Good Times, like and that was oh, around yeah. for a while. Yeah, um, the Jeffersons came off All in the Family. Um, That's true, yeah. and and they spawned a show called Checking In that their 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 maid went off to go work at a hotel. Only lasted four episodes, didn't do well. And then when they brought her back on their show, they said the hotel burned down. So I thought that was a nice little like, <laughs> oh, we were just kidding. Um, and then the show Gloria, which was the name of um, the the daughter and all in the family, yeah. Uh, yeah. that only lasted a season as well. But still, like you of all those, I mean, you think of the Jeffersons, you think of it as separately from All in the Family because it had its own legacy. And, mm-hmm. and and Maude is not one of those ones that you think of immediately, but it was a big deal at the time having an older leading woman, you know, running a sitcom. You know, like like, and it's just so it's it's interesting to me how how many ideas came off of one show of like one family like that? Yeah. Well, maybe when we're done with uh, twilight zone, we'll start doing all in the family. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, how was Archie racist this week? Well, he bought this clock that like the eyes blinked on it, you know? <laughs> oh, I brought it back. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's just, let's Beautiful. get to the, let's get to the twist. So you could panic. That was really a loud twist, everybody. I'm sorry. Yeah, about that. that made me panic. Sorry. <laughs> um, just so you, so you won't worry. I'm giving this a two, just because the angel had to adjust his outlook of how to deal with him with um with Beavis as opposed to you know the other way around. I thought that was that was a twist on that type of relationship. Yeah, I mean, you had a few little twists and turns throughout the episode. Um, I like, I like. That's that's probably the best place to put the twist at with him um, deciding that, hey, you know what? I want my old life back and the angel being like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, so uh, it's a fairly predictable episode, though. It's, it's pretty telegraphed what's going to happen. I mean, from the moment he puts the suit on him, you're like, no, he's not happy. He doesn't want to keep <laughs> this. You know, like, you know exactly what's going to happen. And uh ultimately where it ends up i i like the message that serling's kind of bringing to the forefront but at the end of the day um yeah i'll i'll just give it a two i'll agree with you <laughs> not like even like a 2.5 or 2.2 just to 
Just out of no. spite? <laughs> if, if 1.9 even, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Um, all right. So, yeah, that's going to that's gonna close the book on Mr. Beavis. Thank goodness. Uh I, I still think we had a good conversation about this, but I just like I just knew I, I just I think we've been having I think we've been having some really good conversations about some not so good episodes, but this one I just felt like was going to be an uphill battle, and it turns out it wasn't the case. Uh, yeah. But I I just I have no desire to ever go back to this episode ever again. Like I just yeah. <laughs> Like I said, it was a little bit discombobulated. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that word in my life before. Yeah, uh, neither have I. And I, there's probably a reason for it, because uh, no one wants to ever remember this episode, even the people in it. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for Mr. Beavis. Uh, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Ah, you can leave us uh, voicemails and emails at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. We're creeping up on the end of season one here, and we're still trying to come up with what we're going to do in between seasons. So we really got to sit down and maybe put together that poll I discussed last week. So uh, you can find that on our Facebook page. Go to Strange Highways and join the conversation on there. I want to thank uh, our our listener, our my buddy Nick, posted the SpongeBob yes. licking, licking his lips video. Cracked me up this morning, so I appreciate that. So if you want to join in the conversation, check us out on Facebook. And if you would subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play Music, it would definitely help us out. Absolutely. And uh, I'd almost forgotten what next episode is, but if I remember, it is the After Hours, right? Yeah. That is the next yeah, one. Yeah, which, which we may or may not have a guest on there. It might so, be a uh, mannequin, and we'll just have to stare at it the entire time. Yeah, we can just pretend. <laughs> like, um, we'll just pause and be like, good point. You know, it's really... <laughs> It wouldn't be too much different than me talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So yeah, so we may have a guest. Um, that would be fun. Either way, it's 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 it will be good to get. Uh, even though passage for Trump, it was okay. It'll be good to get these last couple out of the way because this is one of the the big ones people talk about. And it'll yeah, be good I'm, to I'm really in. excited. Um, this is the one. This I think this is quite possibly the first Twilight Zone I I have ever seen when I was younger. Um, definitely stands out in my memory quite a bit. And I know my mom still discusses whenever we talk Twilight Zone, she's like, oh, that mannequin episode is so scary. <laughs> so it's it's the one that always pops in my head when I think of Twilight Zone. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to sit down and actually dig deeper into it. Yeah, absolutely. So that will be uh, next time. Um, that's going to do it for us. And in the meantime, I, I try to find something snarky to say about about uh, tying into the episode here. I, I got nothing other than <laughs> well, <laughs> just, you know, I'm, I'm discombobulated as well, I guess. Well, go watch Night Warning. Fantastic movie from an otherwise uh, <laughs> not so great director. Yes, that that's that. There you go. Watch something better than Mr. Beavis. We'll see you next time. Yes. See ya. All right, bud. Would you kindly tell me what are the ingredients of this drink? Well, you said you wanted to get fortified, pal. I put everything in there but atomic energy. Does that explain why I can see him in the mirror, but I can't see him in the booth? See who?
whom? Objective case. 